This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Basically. I'm your host, Stephanie Preisner, and today in studio with me, I'm doing, well, actually, I'm doing another episode that has been requested by members. I'm very excited to get the information today. In studio with me, I have Jessica K. Doyle, who is a Psychology Society of Ireland member and a member of the Autism Group. She is the Assistant Psychologist at the Adult Autism Practice. She works for TCD Sense and she is herself autistic. Jessica, welcome to the room. Hello. And the podcast. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Great. Uh, So today's episode, I want to sort of specifically focus on autism in women. Why do you think autism is more difficult or maybe it's not a difficulty factor, but why it's harder or less diagnosed in women? I was thinking about this this morning. Um, I think, so if you go back to the first days when autism was identified by Hans Asperger's and Leo Kanner, um, what they looked at and how they kind of like created their theory of autism was based on males. Mm-hmm. They're all males. Um, well, they were all identified. Anyway, I'm not going to go back to They were all identified males. And um, so it was all based on that. And then kind of like a, a ripple effect, a ripple effect, a domino effect after that means that like if you think about, I can't think of any movies now, but if you think of like Rain Man or Sheldon or... Um, the doctor, the good doctor. Mm-hmm. I can only think of really a lot. Like I, I've written down some here, but I'm gonna. If I were to just think in my head about them, I, c- I can kind of pull up a whole pile of stereotypical autistic male profiles that are seen in TV. So society and doctors and everybody. So the doctors, the people looking at the criteria, are going to be looking at all male, male views, and even society then are are looking at all. Or can only only they don't think when people think autism. Hopefully, it's changing. But before, when people thought autism, they didn't think girls. They didn't think women. So they wouldn't they wouldn't look out for it. So it's all kind of based on the male view. And then research. So research. So there's prevalence ratings, prevalence estimates of um, from these male stereotypical thing. They look at research, and there's there's an idea that maybe there's three to one ratio of autistic boys to girls. There's lots of controversy over these statistics. But if you think of that and you think of somebody looking at doing research and they want to do a research study, they're going to like research is primarily being based on autistic males, because if you're going to go and look for a whole pile of autistic adults to do some sort of EEG scan or something, you're going to get three to one. Yeah. So you're not even going to look for the girls because three like if you if you have 10 samples, 10 people, if you have seven males and three girls or three females, then that that like that ratio, that balance of the groups isn't going to be enough to kind of get. So you'd have to like double or triple or like quadruple your sample your size sample in order size. to get enough females to compare to males. Do you so think people that- tend to just go males. So everything's best on males. I don't know if that answered your question, though. It does. I mean, it, it, I mean, it, it it does very clearly because why the question was why is why is it more difficult or less frequent to diagnose in women, and of course it is because the model is based on men, so yeah. we see the traits in men and how they present in men. And like teachers don't look out for it in girls; they see a girl 
and they they might diagnose so there's diagnostic overshadowing which is a problem so girls I suppose there's I don't know why but there's like more female related conditions and then more female related neurodivergencies and they'll tend to get those ones and because a girl might like have anorexia or social anxiety they'll see them and then they'd be like okay we've figured that out that's enough we don't need to go further and see how the anorexia and the social anxiety is through the perspective and through the experience of being autistic so they kind of tick it as um tick it as that doesn't make any sense just they they kind of like but once they have they, one solution one, for it they, they stop. stop they stop they don't think more and it would add so much like they've done research that like I'm not sure about the statistics now, but like high statistics um, of girls that present with anorexia also meet the cutoff point for autism. Yeah. But it doesn't. That was certainly the case for me. Like it just became my, if you want to say special interest, just the arithmetic of food and the numbers and the counting and the tracking and the, and also that thing that you were talking about not being able to feel like, I do believe that I feel my bodily sensations different to other people. Like when I was a kid, I only ever went to the toilet when it was almost an emergency. Like I never was like, oh, and even now I don't go to the toilet as frequently as other people because I don't get that sensation. I don't feel hunger the same way. I often say the sentence like, I feel some kind of way. Am I hungry? Am I angry? Am I lonely? Am I tired? And I can't differentiate those things. Do you think that now maybe it's just because I'm more aware of it? You know, there's that there's that if you're thinking of buying a Toyota Corolla, you'll start seeing them everywhere. Like since I've been diagnosed, it feels like loads of adult women have been dying or like that the conversation, Melanie Sykes, some other famous British woman that I don't know. I think she's an influencer or married to someone. I don't know from that information. (laughs) She has some autistic, she came, she disclosed last week she has autistic children and then she. Oh, I saw her in the newspaper. I can see her in my head, but I can't think of her name. Yeah, I don't know who she is, but you know that there are more adult women becoming diagnosed and I think it's great for the community that, you know, it, the conversation is being opened, but it's so destabilising to get a diagnosis as an adult. It's like, sorry, I'm having an identity crisis, you know? Would you rather have not had that identity crisis, though? Would you rather have just stayed in the dark forever? Stayed in the dark forever, yeah. Some Honestly, like sometimes I'm like, I wish I stayed in the dark forever. But then I know that actually when I was in the dark, I was like, what the hell is wrong with me? Why can't I do life you know um i think it's a process like i i've i've met a lot of women that have got diagnosed later in life or just self-identify later in life and it's definitely a process you go through that but i think the next stages are brilliant you're going to really enjoy them i hope so if people are because then people message me right and they're like how did you know you were autistic and what were the signs and how do i self-identify I've been watching TikTok and I think I might have ADHD, but I think it might be more like I've no idea how to answer those questions because I'm not an expert and you are. What would you be saying to those people? Like if people have suspicions or they think they meet the criteria for ADHD, but it might be more because I've been saying to people, you know, people are give me examples. I'm like, oh, well, I don't like crowds. They're like, I don't like crowds. I'm like, yeah, okay, but like. Why don't you like crowds? Maybe think more about like. I don't like crowds, but then if people kind of think they don't like crowds, is it because of the sound, is it because of the noise, or is it maybe because of something else? But I also think that neurotypical people have a lot of experiences that autistic people have 
to a lesser degree. Like we've all been driving in our car, listening to music and been come up to a junction and been like, I need to, I need to, I need to turn down the music now because I need to decide where I'm going. You know, I don't know where I am. And I feel, so everyone, neurotypical people have that experience. And I feel like that in my whole life. I'm always like, I just need to turn the volume down for a second here because someone has asked me something. Yeah. And that's hard when you're not in a car and you can't actually turn the volume down on your life. So I feel like it's hard sometimes because any examples I'm, I give, people are like, ah, yeah, sure, I have that too. We're all autistic a bit. And you're like, oh my God, I don't have the energy to have this argument. Maybe we grant, believe what you want. But it just feels really sort of someone being like, I don't see you, you're not right, go away. I think some people, maybe, oh, okay, maybe the autistic people I know, generalisation coming up, autistic people I know, a lot of them love research. So they're going to research the death out of this if they're going, if they think they have it. I feel like neurotypical people might be like, oh yeah, I might then, and that's kind of, then it's gone. Yeah. It was the same as when I found out I was a Taurian, you know, when I first... What's a Taurian? Like, like in my star sign. Like when I first heard about star signs, I was like, maybe this will explain oh, why, I'm, yeah. why I am who I am. And then, you know... I was an indigo child. My mother was like, you're an indigo child and then you're a rainbow child and then you're a crystal child. It was like... What are those terms? They're like supernatural, airy, fairy stuff that's basically explaining autism. Oh, wow. But did she know you were autistic? No. No, but she had like books on indigo children and highly sensitive children and highly sensitive people. And then those books all just moved kind of to autism. (laughs) Brilliant. Is indigo child like a term for like a an old term for what would now be classed as autism? Oh, no. No, I'd say it still exists. It's like people like we used to go to the RDS and go to PAM readings and stuff. So I'd say indigo children still exist. It's just in a different sphere of my mother's interests. So if people have these questions and they send a message to someone on Instagram and then it goes out of their head, they're probably not autistic. But if they follow it up. Yeah. Well, I don't want to say that. <laughs> like, it's a bit, it's not <laughs> as simple as that. That's the diagno- That's the DSM. <laughs> if you can forget about this, you're not autistic. But like research it. Like, uh, so I, I wrote down a few things that mm, documentaries, there's a really good documentary. It's in Icelandic. Is Icelandic a language? It was in Iceland that they made it and Icelandic, yeah, language. Yeah. Seeing the unseen, but there's subtitles and it's so powerful. It's so powerful and it explains, it's all women and their experiences and it's so powerful and I feel like watching things like that might help. Where um, can they find that, do you know? On on YouTube, Seeing oh. the Unseen. Cool. Well, okay. they can definitely find the trailer on it and then if they're autistic, they can research how to find the <laughs> rest of it. it. Maybe, I think it might be on Vimeo. Um, Divergent Minds is a, a new book that loads of people have told me to read. It's meant to be really good. It's written by an autistic person. Um, Spectrum Women, uh, Walking to the Beat of Autism, I think it is. Also really good. I haven't read either of them, but I, I trust the people that tell me. I have them all on my list. Um, I don't know. I, I suppose, have you always kind of throughout life kind of felt like you don't really fit? Or that you can, maybe with women you can socialise, but it takes a You can socialise with... Maybe maybe you have a group of friends that you might think are also autistic or neurodivergent. You can socialise really well with them. But then you have like other people that you socialise with who are more neurotypical. And you don't know what that is, but you do. But like if you're wondering, you might find it. But like another group and it's exhausting, but you can do it maybe. But then it's like you have a social hangover. Those are kind of things. Um, if in school you, you were maybe into the same things as 
other girls in the class were like boy bands or teddy bears or stickers. I always had male ones. But even I say male ones, there's no such thing. But um, you have, you had them, but maybe yours were a step up. Maybe when the other girls moved on to something else, you were like, no, no, we're still on this. Yeah. And you you stuck with it for longer. <laughs> maybe those seen. things are science. Um, like autistic girls tend to maybe, when they're children, be told they're either shy or kind of aloof. Aloof is something that I got a lot. I really like the word aloof, but supposedly it's not a compliment. <laughs> but um, shy and like one thing I did a lot when I was a kid. So I'm talking about children here, but I think it's kind of when you're thinking about it, you normally look back at your past. When I was a kid, I always wanted to do everything. Like my sister would have big Halloween parties and I'd always want to go and I'd want to dress and I want to, I'd really want to do what I thought that I should be doing. But I couldn't. When I got there, I was just quiet and nearly mute. And then, or I'd just repeat what my sister would say. And then I'd come home and I'd scream and I'd cry. And I'd have no idea what was going on. But it would just be like everything that I'd held in, all that too much, would just all come out. But I'd keep doing it. I'd keep going to the birthday parties and I'd keep doing those things. But it just, it never really fit. I didn't know I was autistic, so... It makes sense now, but... So what do you do now? Like, do you still want to go to the party? I do, but like, so Christmas time is coming up when um, Christmas is like a party because all my relatives are there. Um, So last year, Christmas and mum's... Okay, out of COVID time because COVID time means it's quieter. But before I would... I'd still want to go, but... So I, I used to smoke. So I used to smoke to get away. But then kind of realising I was autistic, I realised that I could just kind of get away without smoking. No, I don't smoke. But um, I now make sure like I have a safe space that I can go to, that I can retreat to if I need. So I can kind of come and go as I want to the people's space. I don't, people come in the door and they, they don't hug and kiss anymore. But now I wave. I'm just like, I'm waving, but I'm not needing, like this isn't needed. Or I, if I, Is that because of COVID or since the diagnosis, they're like, I'm not going to now hug you? Um, Bit of both bit of both but it's more like my aunties and my, well my aunties still try and hug me but I, I I feel confident that I can go no no I'm okay thanks I don't want to I don't feel like it I don't need this so like we can connect in other ways I don't need to touch my body off yours <laughs> touch yours or people come and pat you on the shoulder it's like I, I tell people I'm very direct with people before I maybe try to hide it now I don't now I'm like no I'm not comfortable with that I'm okay saying I'm not comfortable I have my headphones um, have my headphones at the dinner table um, but actually now that I have them at the dinner table I don't really need them as much so I, I asked maybe if we can play a little bit of low music in the background so I can't hear everyone eating and I'm now I'm okay saying those things but as a kid and growing up I would have just been the brat who wants all these things like yeah. nobody would understand that it was all sensory um, yeah people eating is a huge one I didn't know oh, that I that was it, it. Ooh. It just feels like such. It's like it's like listening to people going to the toilet. <laughs> it's like oh, this. I shouldn't be hearing this. But it's mm. funny how like sometimes I don't. With some people, I don't notice it as much. Like I've gotten used to it so much, and then there's or certain foods. You get used to it. I never get used to it. Not get used to it, but like with certain people, I don't notice it as much. And then other people, I'm like, oh my god, I can never eat near you again. You're turning my stomach. But I obviously can't say that. I love my mother. But she eats so loudly. So do you just play music or earphones? Or I have, just... Yeah, I have my earphones that cut out the background noise, but means I can still hear. Before I used to maybe... 
I where the when people were like, you're being rude. But now I'm like, I'll explain to you why I'm doing this. Do you have loops? Have you heard of loops? No. What are loops? They're like in ear. Oh, no. No, no. no, you can't. I can't put anything that. in my ears. Right. I have them on most of the time. They do that same thing, but they're not electronic, so you don't have to charge them or anything. Yeah. And you can just put them in and then you can't hear people eating and it's fab. Yeah, no. Um, I wish I could put things in my ears, but I can't. They just... The ooh. sensation is too much. Yeah, and I always end up with ear infections. Always, I get lots of ear infections. Thank God for, like, noise-cancelling technology. You know, like, it must have been really hard for autistic people, diagnosed or undiagnosed, living in a world where they didn't have those. Now, maybe the world was quieter and, you know. It was probably quieter. Maybe people weren't eating chicken off the bone. Um, but <laughs> I don't know, though. I remember the sword and the stone cartoon and your man's eating the chicken. and he was, But that was a cartoon, Jess. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think people probably ate quite loudly all the time. I have my rabbit here today. Yes, you do. That's another type of thing I do now. I bring him everywhere with me. But like I, I like in college, in all my exams, I brought him to all my exams with me and sat him up so I could watch. I was in a separate room for my exams. Um, but yeah, I used to think you can't do that because that's only a thing children do. But like, that's ridiculous, actually. Teddy bears are cool. He's very what? vain. But anyway. What effect <laughs> does the teddy bear have on you? I feel like I have a friend. I have somebody to support me. Because uh, it's like I project a piece of me into him, and then it's like you're to get like, it's like I have an imaginary friend, except you're not. He's not imaginary. imaginary. <laughs> he's right there. Were you diagnosed young? I was diagnosed when I was seventeen, so not young. But also, I know some people that have been diagnosed when they're thirty, forty, seventy. So it's kind of still counted as young. I was still a still a child. Though my mum actually, I think, told me the other day I might have actually been 18, not 17. But I remembered it as 17 anyway. So, but um, before that, life was, well, before and after that, really. Life has been an adventure. Um, but before I knew I was autistic, um, it was a lot more, well, no, it got a lot more difficult afterwards. Finding out I was autistic was great. It just took a while to process it. But before, um, was difficult. Because you didn't know what the thing was that made... Like, did you feel different? Did you feel, like, overwhelmed by the world? Or what was your experience before you knew? Yes, definitely overwhelmed by the world. Different. I, I feel like I always liked me inside, but I felt like I didn't fit into this world that I... Not that I... So not that I didn't like me, but that I I didn't fit into this world. So I thought I was kind of broken for this world, but not fundamentally broken. broken. Okay. Um, I I suppose one of the things that happens with gr- girls or or women more so is that I, I engaged in a lot of masking. So when I was little, I would have gone to school and I would have um, like been really, really quiet in school. And the only things times I would kind of talk is if I were to repeat a friend or if even not even just in school, but like outside of my house, I was really, really quiet and I suppose really good. Um, but then at home, because I, I'd kind of like keep everything kind of tight inside me throughout the day. And mm-hmm. then I'd come home and I'd let it all out and I would be angry and sad and but I wouldn't really know what was going on because I, I didn't know I was autistic. But um, so there was that kind of. Jekyll and Hyde thing going on. When I was a kid, it was 
I'm so terrified of this place. It's so sensory overloading. Like in school, they're so loud. There's so much unprediction, un, unprediction, unpredictability. unpredictability going on. It's terrifying that I just wanted to be invisible. Mm-hmm. So it was mm-hmm. like, hide me. I'll be quiet. Nobody will see me. Nobody. Like I didn't learn anything in school. I never finished school, but I didn't I didn't learn anything in school because in primary school anyway, I don't think I really learned anything in primary school because I was so terrified all the time because of all the noise and children. People in general are, I think, the most unpredictable part of the environment. World. Yes, yeah. But children, especially like with the, the sound levels and everything inside. I was talking to somebody the other day who runs a forest school. And I was like, I would have loved a forest school because it wouldn't have been like that inside. Yes. Really loud. Well, outside can be unpredictable as well, but... But I think the unpredictability of children is more easily absorbed by the outdoors. It's not; it doesn't feel as overwhelming. Um, particularly, like I remember similar experiences being in school, and I always wanted to hang out with the sort of more. I'm going to use the word sturdy, like the children whose whose physical movements were more predictable and laboured like the kids who were jumpy or fidgety I couldn't be near them because I didn't know what they were going to do next yeah that makes sense yeah I, I think with me so I, I I didn't I copied my sister when I was in primary school so I followed her around she tried to get away from me many times by moving to different playgrounds but I always found her again because she was kind of like I was I was her shadow but when I moved into secondary school well I went to a few secondary schools because of bullying and stuff like that but the main secondary school I was in for a while, I I found another person. And I, I think a lot of autistic people, like when you read literature, you read that they, they pick the most popular person or the most, whoever looks the most socially acceptable um, to to like copy. And it's, it's not like, like I tell people about when I mask and stuff and they're like, they say, oh, everybody does that. But it's it's not like... I take on an aspect or I'm this way for a work situation, but this way for another situation. It's like, it's like a whole body mask. It's everything. And it's it's a bit like, sorry, I'm dancing around topics here, but it's it's a bit like, um, you know, people wear COVID masks at the moment. Yeah. It's kind of like if you had to wear... Oh, you're in full PVE. You're in full of that <laughs> and you, you can't take it off. Like, I, I, I hate, I hate masking. So the masking, just for people who might not understand it, is like... You behave. You picking a neurotypical person and watching how they behave, and this might—I'm just describing it—but it might not be this conscious. And then you do those things because that person is socially accepted, and you want to be, so you do those things. But it's not natural the way it is for the other Jessica, and so it's exhausting and depleting, and you know sometimes humiliating or degrading. And you do those things and dangerous. Yeah, and dangerous. Because you, you you say things to yes to things that you wouldn't if you were if you were you. I think it starts off. I think maybe in like an innocent way, it starts off that maybe you might watch TV, and you might find a character that has friends and uh, people seem to like, and you kind of think I'll I'll pretend to be them for a while, and then you get stuck, <laughs> and you can't stop pretending to be them. Or at least you forget what you're like when you're not them. No, for me, it was always, I was always, and I think that's, this is what got me through it. But for me, I was always really, really strong inside. Mm-hmm. I always felt like, like I was sad and I was angry and I was upset and I was depressed and all that stuff. But in, 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 
inside I always had a strong spark of this is me and I don't want to be this person. I think mm-hmm. for a lot of autistic people, maybe they don't have that. They don't have the connection to self or they lose themselves. I think that's why a lot of uh, girls end up with a misdiagnosis of borderline personality, because it's borderline personality is basically you have a distorted sense of self. Um, but it's not that I think. It's just that the mask kind of clouds how you are. And also people can have different masks. So you can your mask can kind of change depending on circumstances, but it's it's never really you. Like I hate lying, but if I'm masking, I lie. I like tell people complete. Like I will be everything that maybe the person on TV I saw was or like I'll become all of that person. Okay, okay. And it so when it's not- you're... When, when you're masking throughout all day, all life, like you, you don't get a sense to kind of develop yourself mm-hmm. in the world. So the person that I am in my head feels a lot younger than I actually am because I've never really, well, I've started doing it recently and it's great. But I, before that, I've never really got a chance to really develop that person in the world because it was always the mask. Never really at home, though. Well, that's positive. How has the diagnosis of autism changed how they treat you I suppose or how they or how people relate to you or does it at all I don't know that's an interesting question Um, I um, my special interest I think that phrase has gone out of use but anyway my passion is autism I do autism research and autism work so I knew I was autistic before the doctors did so I had to seek the diagnosis right um, my mother had books on it before the doctors knew and she tried to get me assessed many times, but sure they didn't think autism existed in girls then. Um, That's so damaging, isn't it? Yeah. Has it changed now? Are people more likely to get a diagnosis in young women? I think it's slowly changing, but I also have to like be aware that I am in a bubble of autism. So often when I'm in a bubble of autism and everybody knows autism, I kind of think this is how the world is. But this actually, is great. It's really getting far. But then you come out of that bubble. It's like, oh, some people still think we're like Rain Man or some people yes. think that there's one way of autism. How does your autism present itself? That phrasing, your autism, it's interesting. I just mean because I'm trying not to be generic of how does autism present itself? Because surely it's different with you than it might be with A and other. Yeah, yeah. No, I just, it's, 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 it's interesting. Um. Is that because sometimes people say, is it the difference between I have autism and I am autistic? Yes, I think so, because it's, to me, it's like <laughs> there is nothing like I, I it's it's my foundations. It's from where I grow from. It's it's everything. It's, it's your essence. Yeah. Yeah. It's my my operating system, I suppose. I think autism is uh, fundamentally a perceptual difference. So I do I do research at the moment that looks at a new theory of autism that's not like specific to a type of behaviour or type of presentation. It's kind of looking at how that whole neurotype works. So when I say a perceptual difference, so autistic people, I think, perceive the world differently and kind of create that existence of reality different to how non-autistic people do that or more like neurotypical people do that. So I always use an example of a tree and on the way here I was trying to think of a different example but I'll just use a tree because that's what I use but I think when you when we perceive something it's not just that we take in the information from the environment and we process it mm-hmm. it's that we there's a ba- we we take in the information from the environment but we also balance that with 
how we what we expect to see or what we've previously seen. And we put those two things together and that is our perception. And it's that balance of the two different things that I think is different, that this theory thinks is different in autism. So for autistic people, they rely more on the sensory information mm-hmm. than they do on what they think and they what they think and believe. So when you're balancing the two of the sensory information, what you think and you believe, those thing, two things are, are never the same. So what you actually perceive, there will always be some like surprise there because it'll be slightly different. But non-autistic people take that surprise and they're just like, ah, oh, yeah, but it doesn't matter. Well, autistic people take that surprise and are like, build a whole new model of the world. So every time something different changes, they build a whole new model of the world. So that might not make a lot of sense, so I'll put it in an example. So a tree, if an autistic person sees a tree for the first time, they'll see all the different details of the tree. Or if anyone sees a tree for the first time, they'll see all the different uh, features of the tree, like the leaves and the texture and have like, they'll fully see the tree. But when a neurotypical person sees the tree the next time, or a, a tree that's even similar to that, they will not really see the tree. They'll just be like, ah, tree. That's, know that. Box that's grand. Yeah. Fine. But an autistic person will, unless the tree is exactly the same, and the tree is never exactly the same because there's change in time, there's change in weather, there's change in light, there's change in, in how you're feeling inside, that tree will be processed all over again and will be categorised as another tree. And so... It's it's beautiful when you're in trees and nature and um, places you like that are calm or you're really focused on a subject that you really love. So in, in those predictable contexts, it's it's wonderful. But in the more kind of volatile social environments where there's a lot going on and there's um, like noise and lots, lots and lots to process, that can be just exhausting and like it, it prevents learning because you're you're picking it up so much. So it's not really. So I see autism as a different perceptual mechanism. And depending on the context, that can be a strength or a weakness. But similarly for, for neurotypicals, that ability to um, not pay attention to those things, that can be a strength or a weakness too. And you can miss a lot of the richness that is in life. So I think that's what autism is, which wouldn't res- necessarily be your typical answer to autism, but... No, it's absolutely fascinating. And I mean, I think it also speaks to how you perceive it. Um, and and did you say that you, you, you've you read this, like this is developing research because I would love to see people start to see it differently. You know, that like if it's about perception and if it's about how how a difference in how someone sees the world, that's a far more positive slant or a positive um, perception than what is currently my perception of it of the public perception of autism, which is that it is, you know, a difficulty, that it is something to be overcome, that it is something that, you know, someone is diagnosed with and that is a, you know, that people are going to be upset with that diagnosis. But if if you're diagnosed with something that is going to be like, actually, you perceive things differently and that's great. That's a much more positive. Well, yeah, that's what we're trying to do. Like in my work in the auto- adult autism practice, it's all about neurodiversity affirmative. It's mm-hmm. it's a different, it's a neurodivergent way of being. Um, there's other theories, and it's it's good to mention that they're just theories at the moment. But they're they're all they're theories primarily by autistic people. So I think that's kind of shows that um, having it from the inside is 
is useful um kind of gives a, a more authentic perspective rather than like neurotypical people trying to come up with theories of autistic people yeah. is it's often interesting and um, but so when Autistic people take in all the information. They often perceive a lot more of what's there, like neurotypical people tend to block it out. But then our attention, sta- our attention um, ability or spam, not spam, our attention ability, or what we can resource is still limited. So while I talked about before autistic or neurotypical people kind of ignore things to kind of get rid of uncertainty, um, autistic people stim and do like stimming behaviours like making repetitive sounds or moving their like it can be in really overt ways or really kind of like secret ways I have lots of secret stims that people don't know about like I I move my toes around a lot when I'm sitting down and that kind of just keeps me calm and but another uh, theory I suppose is monotropism which is really popular in the autistic community it's taken me a while to kind of understand it but now that I'm getting there I can I, I can kind of I can see how it makes sense um so monotropism suggests that autistic people, when they've process, when they've got all the stuff in, that in order to kind of be able to process anything, to the cog- the cognition part, that we instead of like flipping from like interest to interest, we kind of like have a tunnel vision on um, on specific interests. So it's all it's still all details and it's still all um, like intense. And that can that that kind of tunnel focus vision, like for me, it's autism. That tunnel focus vision on on research and autistic perception for me is like it 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 kind of in a way it like blocks out all the other stuff, um, and I can just focus on that. But it it can be beautiful and it can be in that flow and that hyper focus. But because it's so intense, kind of when you're pulled away from that or when you're somebody interrupts you or somebody tells you you need to do something else it can be painful it can be painful to move from this intense monotropic vision to um to something else physically painful or like emotionally painful physically painful like like you can feel i can feel it i often change of gear yeah i like sometimes i think what i feel that's is another theory of autism or well not just autism, but another thing that a lot of autistic people experience is alexithymia, not really being able to tell. Well, I th- it's it's not being able to explain how you're feeling, but I think it might be actually more accurate to say it's not not being able to explain how you're feeling in, in neurotypical words. But I'm not sure about that. Maybe it's a difficult as well. But for me, I often explain like a, a feeling of having slugs in my tummy or slugs crawling under my skin. Mm-hmm. And that's what it feels like to me. And that uncomfortable feeling is way more painful than like hitting my head against something. That's so I feel like disturbing and uncomfortable is a lot worse than pain. Pain Pain is. Yeah. Is there any studies about autistic people and experiencing pain like being like like pain thresholds higher or lower? Yes, I think so. I think I think there's research into that autistic people can have like either like are kind of on the extreme ends. Right, so either a really high pain threshold or quite low. Or, or quite low. Though, I'm not sure. I've only read a little bit of research, so I'm not sure about like the reliability and the validity of all But But I think I read something else a while ago that there's some physicy term that I don't know the name of, um, but that um, it's some, some effect that when you do something over and over again, you kind of habituate and you get used to it. 
Um, but they found that autistic people don't do that. They don't get used to something when it's done over and over again. Again, not sure if that was only a small sample or if it's reliable, yeah, yeah. but it's interesting. Another interesting part of the the what is autism thing, I I, I know people ask about autism as a spectrum Mm -hmm. or autism is a spectrum or can you be a little bit autistic? You can't be a little bit autistic. You're either autistic or you're not. But people kind of try to categorise autism into one person or one way. Mm -hmm. But if you think about um, neurotypicals, they're really diverse. They have really diverse lives, diverse careers, diverse outcomes. Um, You have neurotypical people that have co-occurring intellectual disabilities. You have neurotypical geniuses. Not a lot, again, in the autistic <laughs> people. Not a lot, but we don't have special talents all over the place. Um, you have that variety uh, and that diversity. That same diversity exists in the autistic spectrum, in the autistic population. It's as diverse. So people like talk about TV characters. That person is autistic but that person isn't the right autistic or a different autistic to another TV character, which makes no sense to me because you'd never say that person isn't like there's a vast array of different neurotypical characters in TV. And yeah. We never try and make them the one right type of neurotypical way yeah. because we realise that there's vast of like personalities and, and change and we grow and we develop. It's the exact same in the autistic spectrum. We have that amount of diversity and difference. It's just a different way of perceiving the world. Um, being slightly vague and generic I'm, for, 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 for the audience, symptoms or signs of autism between men and women, is there a sort of a, and I mean encompassing all gender forms, but is there, are there sort of broad strokes signs that are leaning towards one gender more than another? Ish, so ish, kind of, um, but obviously only in the broad sense. But um, girls, I think in general compared to boys, are uh, grow up being socialised different. Mm-hmm. As in, it's okay to express your emotions. Maybe, maybe this is changing, but it's okay to express your emotions more when you're male than when you're female, and you're kind of taught to be socially appropriate, taught to be good and quiet and Obedient not. Yeah, when you're a girl. So obviously that uh, autistic girls and boys are the same in that sense. They're socialised differently. So autistic girls tend to be, uh, they, they tend to mask more um, because they're kind of taught to do that mm-hmm. more than express how they feel. Also in terms of like the special interests or the passions, they tend to be more aligned with what's typical or regular for neurotypicals, I suppose. Okay. Um, so what so do you mean like boys with cars and girls with like in that Boys sort of- not so much. Boys, I don't know. But girls definitely like they might become passionate about um, teddy bears when they're little or dolls. But the intensity of how much they're into it is more extreme, but not extreme in a bad way. Just they're they they really are passionate about are passionate thing. about it. And so then, I guess passion is one of the signs, right? Like rather than yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, also girls. If you think about how girls and boys kind of develop, boys are uh, girls will kind of in a, in a classroom setting, they might like 
look after the girl that's struggling. Boys won't necessarily. Mm-hmm. That like being very general here. I don't mean to say this is the case in all circumstances, but in some ways, girls tend to like, like my sister and her friends would like help me along. My sister helped me a lot. Mm-hmm. So my difficulties because of the context was designed for neurotypicals, not because of my autism. But my my difficulties wouldn't have been picked up until later because I because girls tend to help each other along. Okay, boys don't. And it's more obvious. Girls also tend to have that quiet, calm out out in the world and then it all comes out at home. So therefore, in school environments, it's not so much of an issue. Um, It's not so much of an issue. So therefore, it's not really brought to the attention because they're not being problematic the way boys might be. Not the boys are problem. But anyway, you know what I mean? I don't think autism is a bad thing. I think it's the context. Taking a break from the episode to bring you an ad because this podcast is only possible because of our sponsor. Supporting our sponsor supports the podcast. And let me tell you about who they are. Rockwell's financial planning service is designed for anyone who feels as if they kind of need to just put a shape on their finances. I don't know if you're like me. You kind of feel like, oh, my finances are all over the place. I need to kind of start adulting. This is the service for you. Whether you're like a senior executive in a multinational company or a small business owner or just a young couple looking to get a head start in your financial planning, a single person who wants to make plans for their future. So they consider themselves financial doers rather than financial planners, which I really like because it's active. It's not just like um, namby-pamby sort of making a plan. doesn't matter where you are in the country. They're happy to help you in person or over Zoom. Pensions and investments are really important, but they're absolutely useless without knowing why you're using them and what you're using them for. They are in the outcomes business. They are in the business of results. So it's not just about the plan, it's about the action. So they use this like award-winning investment advice to help their clients achieve their goals. And they have a special offer for you listening right now, for Basically listeners. If you go to rockwellfinancial.ie forward slash basically, you can book a complimentary financial planning session today. You'll get a cash flow model which outlines any gaps in your finances and they'll give you the first steps to achieving your specific goals. I highly recommend Rockwell and I think as a Basically listener, you should definitely check it out. It's free. It's going to put you on the right path to getting your finances in order. That's it. Go to rockwellfinancial.ie forward slash basically. While I have you here and I have your captive attention, I want to let you know that if you are a Basically supporter, if you are a Headstuff Plus member, I have an opportunity for you. So from now on, I want to change how my show was introduced. Usually I say, hello and welcome to Basically. I'm your host, Stephanie Preisner, and today in studio I have, you know that bit, you've heard it all. From now on, I want a different podcast supporter to introduce my show because I really am grateful to the people who support the podcast. They mean that, you know, their five euro a month means that I can have a producer working full time on the show. And it's just, I really, really am grateful. So I'm going to give you an address and I want you to send a voice note that says, hi, my name is Mary and I'm a Headstuff supporter and the reason I like what listening to the show is because blah 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 you are listening to Basically and then I'll come in. So what I want you to do is send your voice note to www.speakpipe.com forward slash basically. 
That's speak, S-P-E-A-K, pipe, P-I-P-E, dot com forward slash basically. And when you go to that site, what comes up basically is this, uh, this big button that says start recording and you just record directly into that and then it gets sent to us and then you will be introducing the show. Thank you so much for your support. Guys, I have something so exciting to tell you. Guess what it is? Listen to these sounds. These are the clues. I have merch. I have merch. I have a pen, which sounds like this. And I have a notebook, which sounds like this. What they look like are a notebook and a pen. The pen is sort of bamboo and they both say basically with Stephanie Preisner on them. Actually, the pen just says basically. And they are on sale now and you should buy them. The pen costs five euro. The notebook costs 15 euro. You can buy them together. That would cost 20 euro. But if you are a Headstuff Plus member, which costs five euro a month, you get the pen for free when you buy the notebook. Anyway, I know you're so excited. Just stop listening and go on to shop.headstuff.org and buy the merch. Send me pictures of you and the merch on my Instagram, which is at Stephanie Preisner. I'm so excited. It's a beautiful notebook. It, it's black and it has a little, little thing so that it stays closed and the pen is like clicky and smooth and it's blue when you write with it. That's important to know. And it's five euro and the notebook is 15 euro. And I'm very excited about the merch. Go buy the merch. I'm just taking a break from my show to tell you about another show on the network. This one is hilarious. If you haven't listened to it, you have to listen to it. It was kind of on a break just for all of the pandemic, but just in time when people start to need a laugh. This is one of the funniest podcasts you're ever going to listen to. Dave Coffey is a comedian. You might know him from like Dan and Bex. He does this show called Phoning It In, where it's an improvised comedy podcast where he throws out topics and then they do these phone calls that they make up on the spot and they are hilarious. I love the fact that like when you're listening to the show, you're there with them. There's no script. You're live in the moment with them. I've found myself laughing out loud listening to it. If you like a laugh, check it out. You're going to love it. Phoning it in. Phoning it in is back. Hello, my name is Dave Coffey and I'm the host of Phoning it in, the hilarious improvised phone in show. Think Joe Duffy meets your favourite Irish comedians. Our first episode back is already out and features the young hot guys, Tony Cantwell, Shane Danburn and Killian Sunderman. This season we'll also have lots of bonus material available on Headstuff Plus, including new improv style games with all your favourite guests. Phoning It In is available every fortnight wherever you get your podcasts and on the Headstuff Podcast Network. Thanks for listening. So there are personality traits that are just like inherently me and who I am. And sometimes those personality traits are maybe because of something like autism or being or 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 ADHD or anxiety. So without being too generic and I know it is a generic question with autism in women rather than girls what are the things that typically are are, are looked out for and and lead to a positive diagnosis of autism in women? I think women who've been missed in childhood often have a series, like a, a history of being bullied in school. Um, maybe not fi- finishing school. Lots of them have lots of trauma because of masking and that leading to dangerous situations. Um Mental health problems is a big one because masking leads to exhaustion and 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 that ends up with um 
like I I had a lot of mental health problems growing up. It turns out that a lot of that now was sensory. I didn't realize that at the time, but I I was in and out of psychiatric hospitals for quite a while, um, trying to kind of half giving up and half trying to figure myself out at the same time and kind of just like in a in a battle to try and figure out what was going on and also not wanting to continue going on but always coming back to that. And I had to go to an OT to figure out about that. I had to go and figure out my sensory profile and figure out that actually I was as much a sensory seeker as I was a sensory avoider. Like mm-hmm. I, I'll i eat some things because I love the texture, but I'll hate the taste, but I'll eat them for the texture. Oh, really? Yeah, it's it's a, it's a bit of an odd one. Um, I... Though I, so so doing my sensory profile, I realized that what I was looking for actually vestibular and proprioceptive input. So proprioceptive is like how your body moves in space. You're probably wondering how is that connected to taste? And I'm not even really sure how it is. But and vestibular is where your head is in space and relative to the ground. So I figured out on the sensory profile that I really seeked vestibular and proprioceptive input. So actually over the lockdown, I built myself an outdoor sensory space that's got like adult monkey bars that I cannot use yet. To be upside down, is yeah. it? Or no? Not No, not to be put up down, but to have that kind of like, I, I always said when I was younger, do you know those torture devices where they pull you? Like yeah. they stretch you like from Braveheart or something. I was like, I'd love that, except just to have control over it and not to hurt. I'd love just that feeling of like being I'd be stretched. like, get my mum to maybe sit on me or get my sister to pull one side of me and yeah. my father the other and try and get that feeling. I love that feeling. So the monkey bars gives me that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the the swing, the back and forth, it gives me the... So the swing is interesting. If, uh, if I sit on a swing that's fixed at one point and it kind of turns and that makes me feel really nauseous mm-hmm. and just... Ugh. But if I sit in a swing that's fixed at two points then that back and forth, that kind of calm, it it both makes me really relaxed and it makes me, but also I can focus and I can work. So since I've been diagnosed, Jessica, a lot of people have been like, oh yeah, but you must be really high functioning. Like I wouldn't worry about it. Um, Or, you know, I have have autistic family members who are non-speaking and, you know, need, have really high support needs and people will be like oh yeah but they're very low functioning and you're quite high functioning so it's different or it's a spectrum and you're high up on it how do you feel about functioning words I think it's ridiculous it kind of makes me laugh now but I, I find it ridiculous um, I don't think it's useful at all I kind of explain to people like with me people tell me I'm very high functioning and they also tell you yeah, that don't worry about it as in why should it be something to worry about anyway? But anyway, um, or you're doing really well despite your autism. It's kind of like, no, I'm doing really well because I am autistic and I've embraced it. Um, but um, yeah, it's, it, it doesn't make sense because like, for example, I can do international research. I can talk, I can drive. But I find it very difficult like to go home to... <laughs> to do any type of washing and any type of self-care like I don't think I've brushed my hair in about a week um I I can't make dinner I and it changes like so I I spent about six months every year for about 10 years in a psychiatric hospital and now I'm in full-time employment so before maybe I was a bit more low functioning and now I'm high functioning but it doesn't make sense because like that can change hours it can change days it can change years like some lots of autistic people can talk fluently. Not that talking fluently is a, 
high functioning because not like to, uh, talking anyway. Um, but it 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 changes. So people people if we're going to say talking is an example of functioning, which I don't agree with. But if we're going to say that, like lots of people do, lots of people are speaking. They speak and then they don't speak like they might get stressed and they might lose their ability to speak. You probably won't see them because they won't be out and about when they're stressed. But lots of people that don't speak and use assistive alternative communication, ACC, um, alternative means of communication. Um, I can't remember what the words are, but they have just because like they have different cognitive abilities and lots lots of people have like PhDs but that's not to say that to be functioning you need to have a PhD or you need to be high in academics like people that have intellectual disabilities are autistic and are non-speaking just have as much that I feel like functioning labels are kind of like kind of thought of in terms of worth like but they're I think they're thought of as you function highly enough to be acceptable to a neurotypical world. You function in this world and therefore that is good rather than, you know, it's just such a neurotypical metric and that's, yeah. I think, why it's damaging. Yeah. And I can understand why people say, like, if someone is, you know, non-verbal, has very high support needs, finds it even more, you know, egregious to be in this world that is loud and chaotic and wild, that how they function and operate is they are disabled by the environments that they are in. Yeah. But none of that nuance comes through when they're like, oh, he's very low functioning. No. You know, and it's said with a head tilt and a poor, you know, like, in, and pity. And also if you get a child and you diagnose them or an adult or normally it's a child though, no child you diagnose them as low functioning, that like totally wrecks their future. Yeah, you're writing them off, which is writing really them off, which doesn't make irresponsible. any sense. But yeah, you're right. It's all in terms of a neurotypical world. So if you're listening to this and you have the impulse to use high functioning or the impulse to find out how autistic someone is in your view, you know, like someone says, oh, this girl's son is autistic and you want to know how autistic they are. I don't think that's positive either. To no, say but how that's autistic. what I'm saying. That, yeah. like, that, that, but that seems to be the impulse to the functioning labels. Would you agree? Yeah. Like, like to me, it looks so. It's like in, like autism is bad. How how much of this ha have have you got? Like if you're low functioning, you've a lot. If you're high function, I don't agree with this. But if you're high functioning, you it you're only a little bit autistic. Yeah, <laughs> um, which is completely. Incorrect. I see it though. I see it as I've said this before. I see it like a sound desk with all these faders. Right. And every person, every autistic person has these faders, you know, cognitive ability, um, social, sensory, you know, all these all these faders. And for every person, some of the faders are higher, some of the faders are lower, some of the, and these can change like throughout, like how much energy reserves you have. But that is what the spectrum is. It's different for every person and it changes up and down, but it's not a high and low thing. True. But the the sound desk with the faders, the autistic sound desk compared to the neurotypical sound desk is completely different. So mm -hmm. every fader, no matter where the position is, is still autistic. Mm -hmm. So high levels doesn't mean higher levels of autistic that's, or low yes. levels doesn't mean low levels. It's just the whole... That's interesting. I've used the fader thing before as well. But yeah, the... Um, 
they're all autistic faders. They're all autistic faders, yeah. So what would you say to people that like there is yeah, okay, so the term is that's is support needs. What they're trying to identify is how much support does this person need? Yeah, higher or lower support needs, but just be aware that John might have high support needs on a Tuesday, but might have lower support needs on a Wednesday or in John might in certain environments, yeah. I have like I went to the Book of Mormon uh, I'm going to that soon. A few weeks ago and I had to leave in the middle of it. Like I oh, loved no. it so much. But I ha I can't do crowds, loud noises. There were and actually that's not really what the issue was. There were people there that I knew and I wasn't expecting to see them in that context and that really distresses me. Um so I, I rang I got Book of Mormons for my cousin. Um, but I, I was like, I'm going to do this because normally I will get super overloaded. But I was like, no, I'm going to ring them up. I'm going to tell them I'm autistic and ask them where should I sit and where should be best and kind of get their views. I don't know if it will work, but it might. It's not actually a very like, you know, lights and sound and, you know, surprises thing. It's quite it's quite fluent. So it's that way. It's I was just I think- freaked out by the people. Yeah, I think actually when I go to the theatre, it's definitely the people around me. The stage, if it's light, if it's bright, if it's really alive, I love that. But it's all the people, like it's it's the people around me. People are people are so overloading. People are the worst. As long as if they're on stage and acting, that's fine. But is misdiagnosis very common in women? Really common, yeah. And then do they have to see? Like, is it? I hate when it is. The onus is on the person to get re-diagnosed just feel like if a misdiagnosis can be so damaging and then you have to have the magnanimity to spot that it's a mixed diagnosis and proceed yeah. to get a proper diagnosis it's exhausting it is exhausting yeah and it's 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 so common like so the research I did uh, looked at um, anxiety or sensory perception cognitive styles anxiety and intolerance and uncertainty in autistic adults but I had like a had a sample of 486 participants and I'd say about 350 of them might have been females um, and the number of like compared to males also the non-binary plus genders were high as well but um, the number of co-occurring co-occurring um, conditions was like some people had three, four, and they you could see that they'd been diagnosed nearly with everything before Except getting to autism. It was like, it's like professionals were just like, no, we refuse to diagnose autism in women. That's changing now. I think that's changing. I hope that's changing now. It needs to change because a diagnosis of autism is, when you're autistic, is I think the best thing you can give anyone. It's it's wonderful. It should be celebrated. Well, it certainly sounds like it's very freeing. It's an explanation for something that may have been very confusing for people. Um, and it is, you know, an appropriate, specific and, you know, precise context for someone to live within, which for someone who might be autistic is exactly what they need. Like this world is a barrier and a challenge when you don't know you're autistic and you are autistic. It's a barrier if you do know you're autistic and as well, but it's 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 threatening when you don't know it. You can't you can't really grow with that when you actually know who you are and how your system works. Or even if you don't know who you are, you know how your system works, then you can grow with that and you can discover and you can like develop your true self. Since you've had the diagnosis when you're seventeen, like and and we we discussed earlier about your autism and, and how it isn't something you have it is who you are it's your essence it's where you grow from 
do you tell everybody that you're autistic? Do you, is it, is it something that you need people to know about you? I tell everyone. I have tried not to, but I will tell everything. We have Airbnbers come to stay with us and it's nearly the first thing I tell people. And I've tried not to because some people don't need to know, but like, it's like something I'm, it took me a while to get used to the idea of proud of because I don't like that word just mm-hmm. because it feels weird. It's like elbow. It's a, it's a weird word. But I love being autistic and it's something like I, it's like, it's, it's so like something I really want to tell them. you're not offering it as an excuse no. or as a, as a, some sort of apology. It's just like, this is who I am. Like when people are I like, yeah. I'm Hufflepuff, I'm Gryffindor. Yeah, um, it's a bit like that. And people, people ask me what I do. And I don't know how to tell people what I do or they ask me what I do. And then if I were to tell them, oh, yeah, I'm an assistant psychologist and I work in autism and I work in Trinity as TCD Sense and I work as an autism consultant, it always leads to why are you doing that? It's kind of like because I am autistic and I want to figure out about me or I, I did psychology so I could figure out more about me and um, help other autistic people so that they don't need to go through the same difficulties necessarily that I did. Not that I wouldn't go through them again, I would, but... That's because I like who I am. And, but yeah, I tell people all the time. I'm told to not tell people. People often advise me, don't tell people as if it as if it's a bad thing, as if it's a kind of... As if people are going to treat you less than if they know that you should, like for your own protection, not tell them. Yeah. Oh, or for their, or for or the that, person's protection. Like maybe it's, it's like, maybe they think it's a bad thing in their head so they think if I tell people people will think less of me or something but if people think less of me because I'm autistic well I don't They're care. They're not really the type of people you want to be hanging out with anyway. One of the things with being autistic is I'm I'm before I used to try and change me or I used to try and even adapt me even when I wasn't full on masking I would try and adapt me to the environment like I still grow and I still go over challenges and I autism is not an excuse for anything but now I change the environment. I adapt the environment. Can you give me an example? Um, I go to work. This is a really bad example. But anyway, I go to work. Um, and if I go into work, I don't kind of like beat myself up that I am exhausted once I get into work because like often in rush hour, you go in rush hour and by the time you're there, you're exhausted because of all the overload. Now I go in um, not at rush hour. I don't feel like that's any thing bad that I should be ashamed of. That's not like a, a special support I need. That's just right there. When I don't go in at rush hour, I'm more productive. Or when I'm like at social events and people are all doing that. It's great with COVID. They don't do it anymore. But people do like the kisses and the hugs and the hello, hello. Oh my God. Before I used to, or before I used to smoke, I used to get away from that and go for a cigarette. But now I just like, I wave at them. I'm like, hi, no, I'm not going to hug you. Okay. And I, I feel okay doing that now because I know why I don't like that. So it's really bad examples of changing the environment, but they're the two I have. Or I leave now and I go for a walk outside, but I, I don't need a reason like an a socially accept. It's weird that smoking is a socially acceptable reason, but I don't need that reason anymore. Yeah, I just, just like, go. I've had enough of use right now. It's not that I don't like you. And that is another trait of autism, blunt and direct and to the point. But I think also high levels of empathy and compassion as well are there. So it's kind of like a, a balance of really direct, but also really compassionate. I think autistic people pick up so much information about a person and they kind of pick it up all in pieces that it's hard to put that together to be one thing. Yes. Okay. Like I often, 
my family might disagree with me, but I often think that I pick up when my my parents or my sister maybe is angry with me or upset with me before they've even picked it up. Um, but how I kind of how I kind of react to that, how I kind of like I say, are you angry with me? Which I think drives them. It does drive them mad. Um, but I how how I react to that is like done in like a very direct way, right. which often isn't what you're looking for. Uh, autistic women tend to be, I think, so empathetic, so picking up so much of that stuff that I didn't have this, but I know that it is a trait that they have it, that they're picking up so much of it. Uh, they're so empathetic that they'll, they like sacrifice themselves completely for other people. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I know there's kind of like a, there, I, don't, I don't think it exists anymore. Hopefully it doesn't exist anymore that autistic people lack empathy, empathy or compassion that people lack or autistic people lack that it's 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 not the case not the case at all but for autistic women specifically I think it's like they the can opposite. be hyper empathetic so much that they they don't look after themselves and that coupled with the fact that we're socialised to be people pleasers is, yeah, is, is, is like really really dangerous <laughs> do you think that it's too late for someone who's like in their 30s or 40s to get diagnosed with autism no I think it's never ever too late and I know pe- I know one woman who's 70 and she got diagnosed when she was 69, I think. And it made such a difference to her life. Like, it's never too late to have that aha moment and to find your community of people and to, no, never too late. It's wonderful at, at any stage. I, it would be great if we picked it up in childhood mm-hmm. and <laughs> lots of us didn't have to go through all the stuff that we go through. But no, never too late. And how, what is the process like of getting an adult diagnosis of autism? Tricky. Um, so tricky, I'll say publicly. I, I, it, I, I, it's quite difficult to get an adult diagnosis of autism publicly. There's lots of private routes. Uh, so I work for a private practice. That's one route. But um, there's, you can get... Uh, Psychologists, I like you can. I know some people that have gotten a public diagnosis, but it's so. Say if you go privately, you just get in touch with a private company, and yeah. what is the assessment like then? Do you know or? So you can get in touch with a psychologist. The Psychological Society of Ireland have like a directory of different psychologists that work in different areas on their website, and you kind of you can you can self refer all that way, and there's other places where you can self refer, and then the the diagnosis tends to be um, like formulation. It's an interview. They're like, look at your your childhood, look at your maybe talk to some don't have to, but like talk to somebody who knows you like a parent or somebody that knew you as a child to get that perspective mm-hmm. Um, talk to you about how, what you think about autism. Like would if you are autistic, would do you like I don't think they'd diagnose you with autism if you didn't want to be diagnosed with autism. I'm yes. not saying I don't think that they, they wouldn't diagnose you with autism if you wanted to be diagnosed with autism if you weren't autistic. Um, but like, it's really important to work through with the person. What that diagnosis what is going to mean for them. Mean for them. And mm-hmm. also what, like the post-diagnostic su- supports are really important. Like, like building that um, self-awareness and self-acceptance and empowerment and like it being a good thing. Like when I was diagnosed, it was like, oh yeah, you're autistic. You've also got ADHD and 
he had a bit of ODD growing up, but I got a whole list of them and it was kind of like, oh yeah, that. And that was it. There was nothing. There was, it was like, so it didn't get automatically better for me when I was diagnosed because it was like, here's a piece of paper and there is no services at all. Goodbye. The end. Oh my God. (laughs) And it was like, I've, like, I've, I've, I've put everything into this and it didn't make a big difference because now I knew it and now I, I could like, I went off to do psychology. Well, it took a while because I never did my leaving cert to finish school, but I got there in the end um, and I went off to do psychology and I kind of worked it out myself. But it'd be now there's like a lot more, there's not a lot more, but there is more post-diagnostic supports and I hopefully there's it's growing more that there'll be more so people will get this label label this identity they'll they'll figure out who they are um and then they can they can grow and they can get to their fun part of the adventure yeah that's i'm still thinking about sorry i'm still thinking about that woman who was 69 getting her diagnosis fair play like what drew i mean if you might not know her but what were the things that i wonder what was going through her mind to be like no i these things are not adding up. I'm going to go and get a diagnosis. Or else maybe she has read so much about it that she's like, this is me. I think like, it was that me. she'd read so much of it. She'd read a book and it was like, this is my life. Um, this is definitely me. I did that. And I, I do that every time I read a book. I I I talk about all the, the characters and that no one autistic person character in a, in a, in a, in a TV show uh, like is all of what autism is. And, but saying that, I love TV shows, books. Like I seek them out, TV shows, books, podcasts, everything. About autism. About autism. I just I just want to eat the information constantly. I'm hoping that'll never dry up because it's just it's sparkly. What are your favourite books then that you would recommend to people who are interested? I would... Okay. Um, I know, I'm putting on My favourite books are like, at the moment, is Carl Friston's Free Energy Principle and Predictive Coding Theories of Autism. But I, I wouldn't recommend them to people because they're quite neuroscience Predictive and, coding? Yeah. Do you remember when I explained the perception and the tree? Yeah. That is the predictive coding model of autism. Coding? It's, yeah. I thought you meant coding. And I was like, is there a link? <laughs> no, <laughs> Okay. Um, that aren't textbooks. That aren't textbooks. Newer Tribes is good, though I have to admit that I haven't got through it all, but I know loads of people that say it's wonderful. I enjoyed the first part of it, but then I fell asleep because <laughs> I also have ADHD. <laughs> um, for a non-autism book, if you if you just want to look at like exploring your sensory system, maybe Living Sensationally is a good one. And then, because that has like lots of like they're not quizzes they're like measures in it that explains it oh cool really good book I love that book and I go back to it regularly haven't in ages but I do go back to it regularly um, but it's it's not autism specific at all but it kind of it'll get you to thinking that way what are their autism books not necessarily autism books but like books fiction books that have characters that you think are interesting or TV shows that you like that are not like grotesquely misrepresenting <laughs> autism I love Harry Potter. The yeah, book, same. not the film. I don't like the films. I've listened to the books, I, maybe the series. I've listened to the Stephen series Fry. maybe about 55 times. I just repeat and repeat. Same. Repeat, oh my repeat. God. Stephen Fry like talks me yeah. to sleep. But if anyone else reads it, I'm like, no, it has to be it Stephen Fry. It has to Fry. be Stephen Fry. Okay, we've gone totally off topic, but it's been amazing. So if anyone listening here feels like, actually, I kind of relate to some of what they've said 
we know that like publicly is not sort of the route to go. So maybe reading some books, you've uh, Neurotribes is one that you recommend, and then a private, you'd have to go privately. No, no, I, I, I hope that's changing. I think you should start off if you think you're autistic, talking to your GP. Right. Okay. And they will kind of recommend it. I think it's kind of a bit like a postcode lottery when it comes to the what supports public are services. Your... And if there's somebody there that knows anything about adult autism, they will put you through. So it's always best to start with that route, but you may have to go private. But hopefully that is changing. I think it is. It's changing for ADHD. It's changed for autism too. If people want to follow you or get in touch with you or see what you're doing on the internet, are you available for that? And at what uh, oh, that is a good question. So I think I'm Jessica Doyle on Twitter, but I don't think there's an I in the Jessica because that name was taken. Right, okay. So Jessica Doyle. Um, and TCD Sense as well. I, I do work there as well. And okay. then I'm not anywhere the adult autism practice apart from on their website. On their website. Thank you so much for joining me today in studio and thank you for listening to another episode of Basically. I am doing a bonus material episode for Headstuff members on my diagnosis and how it came to pass and what happened there and the DSM-5. So if you want to listen to that, you can become a Headstuff Plus member. You don't have to become a member forever. You can become a member for a month and then drop out if you just want to listen to that episode. But I think the idea is that you become part of the Headstuff podcast community, which allows you to have access to bonus material from all the podcasts on our network. It's five euro a month plus that, which I think makes it like six euro and seven cents or something. I'm not really sure. But it's five euro plus that and you can cancel at any time and you will get first actually this is interesting you will get first access to our live podcast which was meant to be in December but we've cancelled it because we're responsible people and it will now be next year our music is by Only Ruin our graphic design is by Kahal O'Gara and we record at the podcast studios and we are part of the Headstuff Podcast Network thank you for joining me This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.